0: I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. I want you to think of a question, a question that you've asked that, uh, that perhaps the answer came in a way that you did not expect. Maybe it was a question about the faith. Uh, Maybe it was a question that you asked in prayer. Maybe it was a question that you asked to your child, and you just got an unexpected answer. Well, today we're going to be talking all about questions. Uh, Later in the show, we have the, the privilege of speaking with Father Michael Kerper. He's got a brand new book on Sophia Institute Press called A Priest Answers 27 Questions You Never Thought to Ask." So, uh, we're going to talk with him a little bit about some of his favorite questions out of that book, and, and specifically a very interesting way that as I was, as I was reading this book, I, I noticed that he was very intentional about the way he answered. So, uh, today I, I figured we would talk to him and we would talk a little bit, you and I, about those questions that, um, that didn't turn out the way that we thought. I, I've had a number of these in my life. First of all, uh, I never expected to be Catholic. Uh, I, I have a cousin who is a Catholic priest. We've talked about him before. He's the uh, judicial vicar for the Diocese of Shreveport. He's also the rector there of the cathedral. And uh, at his various appointments during uh, during my growing years, I would go and, and visit him. In fact, uh, he, like many priests I know, is just a fabulous cook. Uh, spent He spent a number of years in seminary in Rome, and so uh, he brought that Good, simple, and yet robust Italian cooking uh, back home with him. So when I would go visit, it was it was always a great experience because uh, we would break bread together and in a number of other things. But but I was uh, a teenager, and you you've been around them. You were one. You understand teenagers have questions, and they don't necessarily ask the question. To, uh, to get an answer, a lot of times, and, and I'll admit that this was me, a lot of times uh, the question was asked to try and trip up the person being questioned. Of course, we see this all throughout Scripture as the scribes and the Pharisees, actually I think we'll see that today as well, the scribes and the Pharisees, they ask Jesus a question in order for the sole purpose of tripping him up. And uh, you know, Jesus did not answer those questions in a way that they expected, those, uh, those questions, many times, Jesus answered with a question and threw off the, uh, the original questioner. But I, I was that way. I, I asked questions, I think, mainly to try, not because of curiosity about Catholicism, um, because I really didn't know anything. I didn't even know enough to be curious, uh, but, but mainly to see if I could trip him up. And interestingly enough, I was never able to uh, to accomplish that feat as a teenager coming up, uh, matching wits and intellects with a um, Rome-educated priest. Go figure. I can't figure out why that was. Uh, but, you know, I would ask him questions about uh, transubstantiation um, because I knew that the Catholic belief of of communion of the Eucharist was different than my Methodist understanding, although I didn't know to what extent, but I just knew that I wasn't what, a, I didn't believe what a Catholic believed. And so, uh, you know, I, I was big into music at that point. I'd play him a, a song about communion that, uh, one of my Protestant friends had written and he's like, wow, that's really close to how we view it in the Catholic church. I'm like, no, it's not, not at all. What are you talking about? That I'm not, I'm not Catholic. What do you mean? And then he would explain to me very patiently and, and in a way that disarmed the question, uh, he would answer me with what the Catholic Church believed about this or that or, or the other thing. And by the end of the question, I really couldn't find a point of disagreement anymore. I was like, well, okay, if that's what you mean, I guess I don't really disagree a whole lot. I remember one in particular, as we were talking about the Eucharist, and and he brought me to this place where I didn't really disagree that that Christ Was meeting us through the sacrament, and that he was present in the Eucharist, and uh, he just kind of nonchalantly mentioned, and this can't be done without a priesthood. This happens through the priesthood, and it doesn't happen because we wish it to happen. It doesn't, you know, it's not like if you go to some other church. For some people, this happens, and for other people, it doesn't. It's not based on our faith, but it's based on uh, the priesthood, and and without the priesthood, there's no Eucharist, and. I didn't really even think much about that at the time. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever, you know, that doesn't affect me because I'm not a Catholic. And yet it was one of those things that kind of stuck with me and kind of needled at me a little bit to the point that when the time came that I was ready to really explore the Eucharist, when I was ready to understand what it meant for this to be a a memorial sacrifice, all of a sudden, those words came back to me, resounding back, echoing over time, and and brought me to a place where I I could finally understand it. I could finally accept it. And I think that a good answer does that. Uh, a good answer answers objections that haven't even risen yet, but certainly will. And so as we think about those questions, you think about the questions that you've had in your life, that you have thrown out maybe to challenge someone or maybe out of genuine curiosity. And the answer came back different than what you expected, it shook you. You weren't prepared for it. You weren't prepared to, to defend yourself against that answer. Uh, I really want to know what that question for you was. So why don't you come over to my social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls, Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. And let me know one of those questions that you asked and the answer took you by surprise. Now, maybe it wasn't for you a question of, of faith. Maybe it was a question in prayer. Uh, I recall one time, a Christian tells this story all the time, uh, where we were new parents and new parents don't know what they're doing. I don't know if you realize this. Uh, new parents do not know what they are doing because you get this child and there are lots of books. People will give you books. The problem is that all the books they give you disagree with one another. And so you're sitting here with a brand new child and you have no idea what to do. You just kind of wing it. And so we had we had a child who was um, probably a little bit more sensitive than any other child in the history of, of the world. Uh, he had just some skin irritation. He had some, uh, some stomach issues and he was an unhappy child. He was, a, and he would let you know it loudly. I I asked, um, well, he listens to this show, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to go further than that. He was vocal in his, in his discomfort. And so we didn't, we were at that place. We had no idea what to do and we just did the best that we could. Well, there came a point, uh, Further in, where he he's not yet old enough to talk, but he is old enough to be angry. And he was not going to bed, just not at all. Just would not go to sleep. And uh, his mother was trying to deal with this. I I was not there for one reason or another. This story was relayed to me later. Um, she's trying to get him down and he won't go down. And she's just like, God, what is the matter with this child? It's one of those prayers that you don't expect an answer to. You're just, uh, venting your frustration. God, what is the matter with this child? And just like that, the Holy Spirit dropped in her mind. Don't you remember growing pains? Don't don't you remember what that was like? It's like, oh, growing pains. Oh, I've got it. Oh, that's what it was. And so then she was able to proceed with compassion and have a, a plan of action and be able to take care of, uh, of this little kid in his aches and pains and ailments. And all of a sudden it makes sense that his legs are hurting and, okay, I've got this. I've got, I understand. Let's take care of this. But that's one of those questions that I – you throw that question out there. You don't expect an answer. And yet here it comes. Here's an unexpected answer. Uh, and then the the last one that I, that comes to my mind is that dreaded question you ask your child, what were you thinking? <laughs> because a lot of times they don't know what they're thinking and they'll, they'll say, I don't know. And, the, but sometimes they know precisely what they were thinking and what comes out of their mouth. You, you're like, what, what was this? And I'm reminded of a story that, uh, that's not about my own children. Actually, it's about me, uh, that, I was told, I was outside, it was a big old rainstorm out in West Texas. And I was told that I was not uh, allowed to go out and jump in the puddles because I was just going out and making a great big old mess. I was not allowed to jump in the puddles. And so um, apparently about five minutes later, my uh, my parents looked out the door again. And lo and behold, I was out uh, kneeling by the side of the gutter, watching the water go by and putting popsicle sticks and the like into the water and launching it downstream and watching it go. And I was called inside. What are you doing out there? Didn't I tell you not to go back outside? And of course, like a three-year-old that I was said, no, you said not to jump in the puddles. And I did not. I did not do that. Uh, And they're like, well, what were you doing? What were you thinking? I said, well, I was thinking about the ants. Because to the ants, this must be like Noah in the flood. (laughs) <laughs> and so I was getting I was getting milk tops and popsicle sticks and anything I could do and I was shoving it in an ant pile, getting as many ants to get on that stick as possible and floating it down the gutter. And sometimes you just the you ask a question fully expecting something, fully expecting a certain answer, and what you get just isn't that. So why don't you go over to my social media, tell me about a question that you've had that the answer took you by surprise. And when, and when we come back, we're going to talk with Father Michael Kerper, uh, author of the brand new book on Sophia Institute Press called A Priest Answers 27 Questions You Never Thought to Ask. Uh, it's going to be a great conversation. Don't go anywhere. Go just, and If you go somewhere, go to social media, facebook.com slash step outside the Walls. Twitter, the handles at Outside the Walls. All of our archives are available over at Outside the Walls.com. There is so many Outside the Walls kinds of things you can type in and participate in. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. So glad that you're here today. Got a great show for you today. We're talking about the anatomy of an answer. Uh, you know, coming into the church as I did, I had lots of, of questions about the faith. And and I, I happened to ask the right person who, who spent the time and, and really crafted an answer. A lot of times we think, well, it's easy. Someone asks you a question and you just give them information. Uh, but there's something to the craft of how we uh, how we engage with the questioner that i think is important uh, today we're talking with father michael kerper out of the uh, diocese of manchester in new hampshire and he is just such a person who crafts these kinds of answers uh... they're combined for us in a new book by sophia institute press called a priest answers twenty seven questions you never thought to ask father michael kerper thank you for being on the show today
1: Oh, thanks for having me
0: now, I was really struck as I as I picked this book up by a number of things. One, uh, it's in such a format that you can read it. It, it. It's not something you have to get immersed in and read cover to cover. You can find the question that you have and read it, or you can read it cover to cover, but each question and each answer only comprise a couple of pages, so it's very accessible. Uh, and then what I was struck by is You've obviously given a lot of thought not only to the content of your answers, but to the way in which you answer uh, in terms of how you engage the person. In fact, you even mentioned that just a little bit in your introduction. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about how we as, as lay Catholics can really work a little bit more on how we present the answers that we give.
1: One of the most important things I've always tried to do is to avoid entering into a conflict with the person who asks the question. And what I always try to do is listen carefully to the question and to point out areas of contact where there is an element of truth. I'll give you an example. One of the questions in uh, the 27-question book uh, is about reincarnation. Mm which is common, apparently 30 to 40% of Catholics believe in reincarnation. And the the first response frequently would be, that's wrong, you can't believe in that. But I think what is more helpful is to see that the person who's asking the question already has certain truths correct. So mm-hmm. for example, if somebody asks about reincarnation, they obviously believe in spirit. Second, they obviously believe that there's a distinction between spirit and matter. And they also believe in some kind of afterlife. And so when I would get a question like that, rather than just saying, you're wrong, I would try to build on the truth that they already have, and then try to lead them to the point where they can see not so much that they're in error, but that they're moving
0: towards the truth.
1: Mm -hmm. And so starting with conflict is always a mistake.
0: One of the things I noticed as I read through uh, a good portion of this book is that almost every answer, if not every answer, begins with an affirmation of the person and of the question and of gratitude for being asked.
1: Yes. Yes. I learned that from <laughs> Jermaine Grize, my old professor. I have mm-hmm. him in the acknowledgments there, and I just happened to be reading a book he wrote all the way back in 1974. And what struck me about it was the introduction is all about his thanks for the people in a class in Canada, students, who were always asking questions, and he acknowledges that in the book because he says without the questions, the book would somehow or other be inferior. And the same is true in dealing with people who are confused about the faith or uh, are just in total ignorance, that we ourselves learn a great deal from the questions. Mm-hmm. Like every time I would get questions for a parable, and the, the book, by the way, is just a compilation of um, articles that were written over the course of 10 years. So some okay. of them i kind of forgot to even write. <laughs> and, and, and what I found, uh, uh, one of the great spiritual benefits is having the question and then having to go back and reread things I'd read years ago, and then try to respond. And it also is kind of humbling in that you realize that uh, it's a great in a way, a charism to be able to answer questions in a proper way.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, I'm reminded of a comment in G.K. Chesterton's essay, The Catholic Church and Conversion, which he wrote in 1926. Mm -hmm. And he says, the moment a man ceases to pull against the Catholic Church, he begins to feel a tug toward it. And the moment mm. he ceases to shout it down, he begins to listen to it with pleasure. And the moment he yeah. tries to be yep. fair, uh, he begins to be fond of it. Mm. And I think... Exactly, yep. As I came into the church, I had a number of questions, uh, and and I asked my cousin, and he was very, he very much answered in a way like you, although I didn't recognize yep. it at the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And in the end... Uh, I found myself very much affirmed by those answers and drawn further into the Catholic Church to the place where I eventually converted. Uh, But I think that it was in large part because he was answering the person and not answering the question.
1: Oh, very good. (laughs) It's a big difference, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) So talk to me about... uh, this, this book, you said it came out of articles that you wrote for a, a number of years. When did you first get into this, even beginning to answer questions in this way?
1: Well, it goes all the way back to ordination. Priests are always asked questions, and there's pretty much the same 20 basic questions. Do you worship Mary? You know, I like to think. But um, it was a little over 10 years ago that our diocese started a magazine called Parable and from the very beginning uh, i was asked to do this little column of uh answers and the questions uh, sometimes were composites sometimes priests would say why don't you answer this question that people are always raising and then sometimes the questions actually came directly from people Mm -hmm. so it was kind of a a a, a mixed uh, kind of background of the questions and um i just started Doing it, and before I knew it, it was ten years. And then the the editor Sarah Jane uh, von Hock said, "I want to put those all together." And I thought, uh, I thought I didn't think it was a good idea because I thought some of them were old and wouldn't uh, survive <laughs> change of context and change of times. But she did all the work along with the people from Sophia Institute Press who did the selection. was really about. 62 answers, and they selected 27. I don't know the meaning of the number 27. hope you don't ask me that. <laughs> it's no mystical number. I think it had to do with their budget or something. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so it, it, it all came together. Uh, it took about a year and a half or so. And when I saw the book, I thought, oh, this is really very nice. And uh, I really thank the people from Sophia who did a lot of hard work. They organized the whole book. They just took all of the... Um, Answers and questions just rearrange them. So I really had nothing to do with the actual production of the book So
0: you obviously have taken a lot of time uh, Thinking about how do we answer the person? Uh, But it seems so often these days if you look on social media or in just the the general uh, Dialogue of our uh, current environment uh, People seem very much polarized and very much combative Uh, What are what's us a first step? to begin rethinking the way that we engage in dialogue and rethinking the way that we answer questions about others have.
1: I always begin with the assumption that the person who's asking the question has somehow or other been prompted by the Holy Spirit. And I would always move from that to the understanding that this person already has some kind of intuitive grasp of the basic uh, teachings of the Church. We have a a little kind of catechetical group here on Saturdays, and the current group, I've got people from 13 years old to 71, and all different levels of exposure to the Church. And what oftentimes amazes me is that when we have a discussion, and we just follow the compendium of the the Catholic Catechism— I'm always amazed that many people, even though they've never been instructed, when I would propose something, like the fact that there's one God, or even that God is Father, Son, and Spirit, they seem to have a sense that, yes, that's correct. And so I find that a lot of times the questions that come up are based on uh, not so much erroneous information as incomplete information. And I also find that people have frequently been taught the wrong things, but then they stick with them. For example, I had a man, he he died. I used to talk to him at Dunkin' Donuts, and I go down there to a donut shop in town, and I kind of got to know him. And after about six weeks or so, he said, I'm a Catholic. And I said, oh, okay. And then he said, but I left the church and I said, All right. And he said, You want to know why? And I said, Okay, why? He said, In third grade, we were taught by the nuns that when we die, our soul is extracted through our noses. <laughs> and, and I said, uh, the church doesn't teach that. He says that's what I was taught, and that's what the church teaches. So I couldn't get much further beyond that. But I find that frequently Catholics, even devout Catholics, have a lot of incomplete information in their minds. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to get beyond it because some people kind of fall in love <laughs> with their own particular versions of Catholicism.
0: Right. We're talking today with Father Michael Carper. He's written a brand new book called A Priest Answers 27 Questions You Never Thought to Ask available on Sophia Institute Press. We're going to continue this conversation right after the break. Why don't you join me over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter, the handles at outside the walls and ask a question yourself. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. We're talking today about the anatomy of an answer. How do we respond to the questions that come up uh, that people have for us regarding their understanding of the faith? We're talking today with Father Michael Kerper. Uh, He is a a priest out of the Diocese of Manchester in New Hampshire and has a brand new book on Sophia Institute Press called Uh, A Priest Answers 27 Questions You Never Thought to Ask." Uh, Father, thank you again for being on the show today. Oh, thank you. So we we were just talking about uh, how we can begin to maybe calm down the way that we interact with other people. We're in such a a polarized environment that very often someone asks a question and we automatically take it as an antagonistic thing. Perhaps we, uh, we assume their motive for asking the question. Perhaps we have already constructed in our minds what the full framework and what category to place this person in since they asked this question. And, and it really, I think, hinders the, the witness of the faith. Uh, I think we're so, so bound and determined to win an argument that very often we lose the person. Uh, so that's why I'm, I'm so thrilled with this book, not only because of the questions that you answer within it, but but because of the example you give in the way in which you answer these questions. So we were talking during the break about, uh, how to answer the question that's actually being asked. Why don't you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. And, and uh, as I mentioned during the break, I said so many times we spend a huge amount of time uh, formulating answers to questions that aren't being asked <laughs> and that we miss the other questions that are really out there. And uh, another great obstacle is our own language. Several years ago when I was in the parish I was at before uh, St. Patrick's in Nashua, after Mass one day on Sunday, I came out. I was uh, at the front of the church outside, and this little boy from the kindergarten named Jack, I knew him rather well. I knew his parents, and he was kind of uh, very articulate, and he came up to me, and he was standing in front of me with his arms folded, and he said, Father, I have a question. I said, yes. He said... Why don't you speak English? <laughs> and <laughs> I said, I do speak English. He said, I don't understand anything you're saying. <laughs> and so I said, Well, I apologize for foisting obscure terminology on you. He says, See, <laughs> you're not speaking English. <laughs> and so we always have to, in a way, sometimes retranslate what we're saying according to the needs of the person and uh, otherwise they can't hear and it's always an exercise in humility to be able to do that and to recognize that perhaps um the the inability to grasp the truth has something to do with the way it's communicated. I just saw a, a little a, a story uh, this morning from the Irish Catholic in Ireland, and there was a, a a late night talk show host um, who is in trouble for using the term haunted bread for the Eucharist, and the the RTE, which is the public bread Catholic system, was defending him and said, well, obviously that wasn't meant to be offensive because there's this idea that the Holy Ghost is in the bread. And I thought, well, there's a perfect example where (laughs) some people are still using the term Holy Ghost, and then it's linked with the bread. And then you get the idea of the haunted bread. Mm -hmm. And even the use of the term ghost is a good example of language, which was once intelligible. And now it is not. Mm hmm. And so, when I read that, I thought well, I can understand why this guy who grew up in secularized Ireland would come to that conclusion. Well, we see so the th- language is very, very, very important,
0: and we see this even with Christ in the way that He answered questions. Uh, if He answered. Uh, the, the Sadducees, he would use one canon of scripture to answer their questions. When he answered the Pharisees, he'd use another canon of scripture simply because they that's the terminology that they recognized. Yes. We, we see this with Paul in the book of Acts when he goes into Athens and he goes to the people and he contextualizes his answer uh, so that the person who is asking the question can receive it.
1: Yes, exactly. And you take cases, for example, with the rich young man when the rich young man says, what must I do to be saved? And he says, well, what do you read in Scripture? He he puts it back on him. Mm -hmm. And you see that so often. There's a a true dialogue. And Jesus also uh, avoids the questions that cannot be solved immediately. Take his meeting with the Samaritan woman. She's been married multiple times, but he doesn't focus in on that at that particular time. He just... It's acknowledged, but then it passes for some later time to be resolved. Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's something that we've, we've missed because we have become, all of us, uh, specialists and experts yeah. in whatever we do. And, and whether or not we actually are, we feel that we should be experts and specialists. Uh, but if you go to an expert or specialist, for instance, a, a doctor or a cardiologist, what's the first thing that they do? They, they, do, they run tests and then they ask Questions. What, what are you yeah. feeling?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that that's something that we very often miss.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's so important because we're really dealing with people and not ideas. Pope Francis, uh, on a couple of occasions... Has said this reality is greater than ideas. And sometimes we turn it upside down and we make the ideas and the terminology and the structure of belief much more important than the reality of people.
0: Mm-hmm. So you have these 27 questions out of the 60 some that you have written over time. Uh, tell me, if, if you can, what's one of the favorite questions that you've ever received? Uh, okay. The,
1: the one that generated the most um, response and was reprinted uh, was the one about ghosts, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was reprinted in the National, uh, the uh, New Hampshire Business News, I think it was. It ended up on uh, websites in Europe, and I, I I got a lot of different um, emails, people reporting on their own experience of ghosts and things like that. But that question on one hand seems silly, Mm -hmm. but when people raise that question, uh, it opens up a whole realm of theological, uh, points and theological reflection. And when I got that question, it was around Halloween. Um, I learned a lot myself because I discovered that Saint. Thomas Aquinas in the Summa there's a whole section in there about ghosts and mm-hmm. carefully carefully done and when people ask about that it's really an opportunity to speak about the existence of the soul right. and and the uh, and, and the very possibility of uh, life after death and uh, Thomas Aquinas makes the point that. Ghosts are always harmless mm-hmm. because they really have no independence. And if a ghost does appear, there's some particular salvific purpose to it, such as requesting prayers or something of the sort, or even simply witnessing to the fact of a continued existence. So it began just, you could, some people say, well, that's a ridiculous question. Or you could just say, yes, there are. But when when I started working on it, I thought, oh, this is a great opportunity to catch uh, the eye or the ear of people who might not respond to something else. Like if you said, "I'm going to give a talk about the soul," that's right. not very interesting. But if you say, "Oh, are there ghosts?" then oh, people want to hear about that.
0: <laughs> you know, of course, in my in my Protestant uh, upbringing, the answer was you, you were taught there's no such thing as ghosts.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and but they're that, in the scriptures, <laughs> right? And that yeah.
0: anything that was, you know, I was taught that anything that that was remotely uh, ghostly was uh, the demonic. Uh, yeah. And so, in this answer, and of course, if you want the answer to this, you have to go and buy the book. <laughs> Priest answers twenty-seven <laughs> questions from Sophia Institute Press. It's actually
1: Press. online as well. All those questions are online. Yeah. Well,
0: don't 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 tell them that, right? <laughs> so, uh, but you know, it, this gives you a great opportunity not only to speak about. The soul and the eternity of it, but also the the realism of uh, spiritual warfare and of the fact that there are demonic powers. Uh, yes. and, and so it, it, you you handle that answer in just such a, a fabulous way of being, uh, you know, not not condescending in any way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. but revealing the answer as if it were a, a meal that you've prepared or, or as if it's a flower that's unfolding. You do oh, that with so a
1: beautiful, it's much better than I ever thought. <laughs>
0: yeah. And you do this with all of these questions. I, I highly encourage folks uh, to check this out on Sophia Institute Press. We'll put a link to this over in our, uh, on our social media. Father, any last thoughts as we, uh, as we wrap this up?
1: Yeah, I just want to thank Sophia. Sophia does a great job. You know, they've been around a long time. They've been in New Hampshire, and they began uh, 30 years ago when I was in the seminary. I started buying their books, and they used to publish a lot of um kind of classics that were out of print. And uh, in the last few years, they've really done an excellent job of keeping the classics, uh, things by Thomas Aquinas, and especially uh, especially, uh, Romano Gordini's books were all put into print by Sophia. And, And they've really been very, very successful. And I especially thank the team that put together the book, because I really did nothing other than write the questions over 10 years. And I usually write them on the train or the bus going into Boston, and then I just check the facts when I get back. <laughs> and I, yeah, they're all kind of occasional pieces. Yeah, um, yeah. so I, did, I didn't have a whole lot of time invested in <laughs> writing those things. <laughs>
0: Well, I encourage you to take a look at this book, not only for the answers that he gives, but also to pay attention to the way in which he answers them. uh, My prayer for us is that we would all be a little bit better at answering the person and not answering the question. Father Michael Kerper, thank you again for being on the show.
1: Thank you, Timothy.
0: We've been talking with Father Michael Kerper today about the anatomy of a question. How do we answer the questions that are asked of us? He's got a brand new book on Sophia Institute Press called A Priest Answers 27 Questions You Never Thought to Ask. Don't go anywhere. There's a lot more after this, but in the meantime, why don't you join me over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. And what's a question that you've always had about the faith? We'll be back right after this. Hey, welcome back to Outside the Walls. I am your host, Timothy Putnam. So glad that you're with us today. Listen, as always, I want to say if you like this show and you want to share it or you want to go back and listen to it again, have no fear. They are all archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com under the episode archives tab. Uh, But beyond that... There is also, uh, you, could, you could just subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or, or Google Play or whatever your podcast aggregator is, and you can get to those links at outsidethewalls.com as well. But here's the thing. If you want to help others find this show, then I need your help. Because one of the ways that the, uh, the, the fine folks over at Apple determine what kinds of podcasts to recommend is by reviews. And, and right now, I, I recently redid my podcast so that we could, uh, we could better organize things on the website. So now you can go and see which guests were on when, and you can click a guest and see all the times they've been on the show. It's great. But in doing that, we had to reset some of our settings. And so I have no, zero, zip, zilch, no reviews on iTunes, and probably the same thing on the Google Play Store. So here's the deal. My wife and I, we have come up with a little wager and I need your assistance in this little wager. Uh, Actually, she needs your assistance in this wager because if you don't do anything, I win, right? Here's, here's what our wager was. She thinks that with the listening audience that we have, of course, podcasts every week, we get about uh, 46 to 120, depending on the episode, people downloading this show through the podcast. And that's not including all of you who are listening on the radio or on the live stream. So she said, uh, she said to me, oh, with that many people listening at some point in time during the week, I bet that you can get 10 people to leave you a positive review on iTunes. She th- she thinks that we can get 10. Now that's more than, uh, than 10% of our normal podcast downloads. That's a big number. Uh, but she thinks, she thinks we can do this. So I, I made this bet with her. I said, if we can get 10 people who will leave me a positive review on iTunes I will buy her. I said, I'll buy you a steak dinner because, you know, she's pregnant and she really likes the steak right now. So I said, I'll buy you a steak dinner. But if we get less than 10, if we get less than 10 positive reviews this week on iTunes, then she has to make me a steak dinner because I'm not pregnant, but I always like steak. So um, if (laughs) if you want me... To, uh, to make life easy on my wife and take her out for a nice dinner, nice steak dinner, then uh, I need you to go to iTunes and leave me a review. The way that you can do that is—easy way to do that is to go—I've got a link, uh, a shortened link. It's bit.ly. So that's bit.ly forward slash O-T-W show. That's outside the walls, right? Bit.ly forward slash otw show. You type that into your browser; it'll take you right to the iTunes link. You view that on iTunes, and you can leave a review, a positive review, preferably, uh, and that will uh, that will help my wife get to the point where I will take her out for a very very nice dinner, uh, and keep her keep her from having to slave over a hot stove. So. If you would, that would be greatly appreciated. Go and leave us a review, positive review, over on iTunes uh, or Google Play. So let's—we're uh, talking about questions. That was my question to you. Would you please go and do this? We're talking about questions today, and uh, it just follows that as we would spend some time in Scripture and a church history, we would stay with that theme. So today is the uh, the solemnity of the Annunciation of the Lord. So this is uh, this is the day, if you went to Mass today, you would notice, hey, they're not wearing purple. They're not even wearing rose, which comes tomorrow on uh, Letare Sunday. No, they are wearing white or gold because this is a solemnity where uh, we are, this trumps, basically, this trumps the Lenten season and, and we are celebrating the Annunciation of the Lord. When Gabriel came to Mary and said, Behold, you will bear a son. And she says, let it be done to me according to your word. That's today. So um, the first reading is from the book of Isaiah. And in here we have a question uh, where the Lord spoke to Ahaz saying, ask for a sign from the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as the netherworld or as high as the sky. But Ahaz answered, I will not ask. I will not tempt the Lord. Then Isaiah said, Listen, O house of David, is it not enough for you to weary people? Must you also weary God? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, The virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Listen, God is not threatened by your questions. If you've got a question that that you are just really wanting to lay out, and you want to call God on the carpet and ask him a question, God is big enough to take that. You look at the psalmist and you see that over and over where we, uh, the psalmist or Job or these various people in scripture, they're really frank with God. Why did this happen? How long will you leave us alone? Are, are you going to ignore us forever? They just lay it all out. And God is never, uh, looking at that question and saying, how dare you ask that of me? In fact, here, uh, God gets frustrated when the king, Ahaz, refuses to ask a question of the Lord. God's saying, ask me and I will prove to you who I am. But Ahaz says, oh, I won't ask. I don't want to tempt the Lord. So don't worry about your questions. Go ahead and ask them. If you've got one of those just really pressing questions, ask the Lord. and, And he may not answer in the way you were expecting he probably won't answer in the way you were expecting. But if you will listen, he will answer. Now, I want to read to you real quickly uh, a treatise on John, on the book of John by St. Augustine. And he tells us this. The Lord tells us, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In these few words, he gives a command and makes a promise. Let us do what he commands, so that we may not blush to covet what he promises. And to hear him say on that day of judgment, I laid down certain conditions for obtaining my promises. Have you fulfilled them? If you say, What did you command, Lord our God? He will tell you, I commanded you to follow me. You asked for advice on how to enter life. What life, if not the life about which it is written, With you is the fountain of life. Let us do now what he commands. Let us follow in the footsteps of the Lord. Let us throw off the chains that prevent us from following. Who can throw off these shackles without the aid of the one addressed in these words? You have broken my chains. Another psalm says of him, The Lord frees those in chains. The Lord raises up the downcast. Those who have been freed and raised up follow the light. The light they follow speaks to them. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. The Lord gives light to the blind. Brethren, that light shines on us now, for we have had our eyes anointed with the eye salve of faith. His saliva was mixed with earth to anoint the man born blind. We are of Adam's stock, blind from birth. We need him, Christ, to give us light. He mixed saliva with earth. And so it was prophesied. Truth has sprung up from the earth. He himself has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We shall be in possession of the truth when we see face to face. This is his promise to us. Who would dare hope for something that God in his goodness did not choose to promise or bestow? We shall see face to face. The apostle says, now I know in part, now obscurely through a mirror, but then face to face. John the Apostle says in one of his letters, Dearly beloved, we are now children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. We know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This is a great promise. If you love me, follow me. I do love you, you protest, but how do I follow you? If the Lord your God said to you, I am the truth and the life, in your desire for truth and your love for life, you would certainly ask him to show you the way to reach them. You would say to yourself, truth is a great reality. Life is a great reality. If only it were possible for my soul to find them. That reading is uh, out of the breviary. From today, and that's from a treatise on John by Saint Augustine the Bishop. And Christ, Christ has come to us and said, Have you fulfilled my commands? Have you followed me? This is part of what Lent is about, as we've gone through these four weeks so far of denying ourselves, of looking at the good things that we long for and saying, no, I'm going to put those aside. I'm going to deny myself so that I can focus more fully on Christ. Not that those things are bad, all of them, uh, but that we are focusing. We're taking our time to fix our attention and focus ourselves on Christ. And then we're to take, deny ourselves to take up our cross and to follow Christ. We follow Christ by looking to him, by listening for his voice by not ignoring the things that his spirit calls us to do. This is how we live a life that honors God. And this is how, through asking him to be with us, through asking him to guide us and give us wisdom, through asking, maybe getting an answer we didn't expect, being drawn by the Holy Spirit into the fullness of life, this resurrection life that's promised to us. I hope that you as you continue through this season of Lent, we'll find that thing that you're looking for by asking God to be present to you. We'll join us throughout the week over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter, the handles at outside the walls. Outside the walls is made possible by the generous contributions of our friends of the show and can be heard around the world on live streaming terrestrial radio and podcast. For show times, go to outside the walls.com.